is the Colloquium Podcast, produced by the MIT Comparative Media Studies Program, and it's November 5th, 2010. I'm Andrew Whitaker. Last night, we brought in nearby colleague Eric Gordon, associate professor at Boston's Emerson College. Gordon spoke on his lab's development of local engagement games, which apply rules of civic participation to formats like games that tend to result in better neighborhood feedback, more trusting relationships, and ultimately, better urban planning. Join us throughout the semester for Colloquium Thursdays at 5 p.m. You can check the schedule on our website, cms.mit.edu, or hear more of these podcasts on our site or in the iTunes store. The subtitle of my talk today besides the ZZ Top references, how neighborhoods can use local engagement games to build community and plan for the future. So, so really what I'm talking about is the, um, the work that, that I've been doing with uh, actually several people here in this room um, at the Engagement Game Lab and um, some of the, the game projects and game-like projects that we've been creating specifically for the purpose of getting communities involved in their neighborhoods. So that may seem like a... Uh, sort of mundane task, but it's actually been a really interesting challenge to, uh, to devise uh, local engagement games and not necessarily location-based games, which I'll, I'll try to describe a little bit of how I see that difference at, at this point. Um, this is different than the, the sort of general gamification of location, that, that um, you know, we see this going on quite a bit with location-based social networks and location-based games, everything from Foursquare to Gowalla, Scavenger, uh, Looped, Facebook Places, World, the list goes on and on. Location-based services are, are uh, the fastest-growing sector in the, in the Internet industry, according to some studies. Um, this is a, a big area of growth. And so while the market is growing into this, what we see is a lot of social networks and a lot of sort of familiar patterns of of uh, engaging that are taking place not based in location, just kind of stemming into location. What's interesting about this is um, this kind of gamification aspect. So what happens when you take, um, and actually let me, let me t say what I mean. Um, you know, if you look at something like Looped, and when Looped first started, it was basically just a social network that allowed you to identify your, um, identify your physical location. Um, when Foursquare came into, came into play and added some game-like features so that you had now badges and, and uh, mayorships and all sorts of other things to strive for, um, what we see then is the, the standard location-based social networks such as, such as Looped and, and Whirl actually becoming more game-like. So we actually see the difference between location-based social networks and, and uh, more traditional location-based games um, coming together. So we see that this is, the, this is what I mean by this kind of gamification. So we have, we have um, you know, points, badges, um, various other things being added to this sort of process of, um, of uh, social networking, essentially, in place. Um, the, way, the way that I see this happening and playing out is that this is really space-based. Location is used as a context for social interaction, but not necessarily the content. And what I'm interested in is how do we actually take, how do we make these, these uh, the general premise of location-aware devices, 
um, location awareness, whether it's machine location awareness or human location awareness, how do we turn that into something that's more place-based? How, how do we get people to identify not, with, not only with the geography of their surroundings, but actually the, um, the, the, the sociology of their surroundings, the, the nature of the community, the, the nature of the processes that are taking place in that community? And this is, this is different than simply checking in. Now, I'm a user of location-based social networks, and this is not, this is not something that I... I, I don't want to um, simply criticize them as lacking. I certainly understand the, the, the appeal that they hold for some. Um, but I think that they don't, they, what they don't, it's very clear what they don't accomplish. And what they don't accomplish is the, the local engagement that I'm going to talk about. Um, okay, so lo local engagement games. This is the, the premise of the projects that I'm going to talk about today. Um, essentially, you know, a very clear definition, I think, is games designed to engage local communities in their local communities. So that's the specific aim of the design of these games. The problem is that people aren't paying attention um, to, the, to the things going on in their community, whatever that may be. How can we design games so that we can get people to better pay attention to the people, the places, and all the interconnections of those things in their local communities? Um, Location-based social networks, location-based games tend to be individualistic um, in the sense that we, we see, we often, we could see where we are in relation to others, but there's not a whole lot of cooperation that takes place within these devices. And I am proposing to you today, and maybe I'll convince you, that, that local engagement games go away from that individualistic approach to, of course, the group approach. And... Um, and, and there's, something, there's something to be gained from, from this, kind, this kind of approach, building, again, around the, the people, around the processes in a neighborhood. Which leads me to this. Um, I want to also, before I get to talking about the projects, talk about the distinction that I see between, between groups and, and networks. And it's not just me seeing it. A lot of people, a lot of people have uh, been very good at, at distinguishing the difference between these. Now, groups, like a neighborhood association, as an example, is a known group, and, and what, what we do know is that, that groups are the most powerful element in, in any kind of democratic process, that um, you know, groups are, individuals are powerless, groups are powerful, uh, and they can, they can affect change in one sort or another. But a group, like a neighborhood association as an example, has limited potential with a known capacity to act. So um, we understand that the, what a group can do is always limited, but we know that it can do it. We know that that neighborhood association can do what it what it's meant to do, which is to act as a, as a group and not an individual. Now, a network, of course, um, has unlimited potential, but an unknown capacity to act. So what's happened is that location-based, uh, a lot of location-based social networks are, are premised on the concept of networks and not on groups. Um, so we have, we have a, a, a kind of network association, a network effect that we, could, that we see in the way that, that places are being incorporated, or rather spaces are being incorporated uh, into these location or into these social networks, um, but we don't see this affecting actual group orientation. We don't see people actually associating with something outside of um, outside of the, the their immediate network. So, I mean, in a way, I'm I'm saying what Robert Putnam has said. I mean, in a way, we're, we're you know we're we're bowling alone. We're not bowling in leagues. But how can we think about that connection between? How can we do both? How can we bowl alone in greater numbers and also bowl in leagues? Um, where we can have some, some uh, known, known power to act. All right, I'll get less abstract in just a second, but let me just uh, um, talk about a few more concepts. Um, so the approach to 
the way that the, the way that we've approached the design to these local engagement games is generally represented in this confusing graph um, or chart um, or image. Um, the idea here is that um, geography is central. Geography is always going to be central because people are in place. People occupy spaces. That's going to be important for how we engage people in in, uh, in gameplay. But people are the are the things about geography that that matter. So. Um, and we see this in, in location-based social networks, but we're not seeing it enough in the sense that we're not seeing it's about knowing where people are but not knowing what they're doing there, not, not getting to the nuance of, of social interaction within those spaces. And then finally, here's, this, here's the thing that I think wraps all of it up and is the actual approach to, to the design, which is processes. So what are the actual processes that are going on in neighborhoods, in locations, and how can we design around those things? In other words... There are things that are, if we look at neighborhoods in cities throughout the, the country and, and, and perhaps the world, there are official processes going on in that there's, there's some sort of association. Some of them are official. Some of them are associations with government uh, planning agencies. These are things that are going on in neighborhoods that are quite official, and other things are unofficial. So the way that people are organizing, the way that people are, are, um, are forming together in, in ad hoc neighborhood, neighborhood groups, um, these are the processes that are taking place in neighborhoods. And so the way that we've been thinking about, about getting games into neighborhoods is not saying, let's try to develop a social network and assume that, that there's going to be some common interest of the people in that neighborhood, but instead, why don't we enter into this process, or rather, why don't we enter into this neighborhood through existing processes? Essentially, why don't we build another rule set on top of an existing rule set that people already understand? People are already engaging in their locations, in their neighborhoods, in very particular ways, and we can build on top of that. So this is the sort of general approach um, that we've taken to, um, to, the, to the work that, that we've done. And I'm going to talk about three projects. Um, one was called Hub2, and uh, Hub2 was a, a project that was... Um, uh, we did it in 2008. It was uh, designed in, in Second Life, and um, and it was it was a you know kind of a partial game that got people. The whole point was to get people to to begin deliberating around a planning process, and and uh, um, I'll talk about that. Participatory Chinatown was uh, was an extension of Hub Two. Um, and in this case, we left Second Life. We we developed a we developed a browser-based game with very similar kind of goals, but, but um, different effects, and I'll talk about that. And then finally, Community Planet, which is the, the third project that I'm going to talk about, um, which has a, a completely different kind of uh, design strategy. Uh, and this game is, is designed for, um, for mobile gameplay. So uh, these are the three projects I'll talk about coming up. Um, and, and there are two approaches that will become pretty clear to you as I, as I talk about these projects. Um, in both cases, the... And of course, you, I don't, probably don't even have to explain this slide. It's perfectly clear, I'm sure. But, um, but uh, one approach is, is uh, combining role play, which is that, with empathy. Of course, when you see a turtle on its back, you can't help but be empathetic. And then adding, having that equal deliberation. So it goes, the whole point of the first approach for the first two projects I'm going to talk about was all about role play and empathy. How can we use role play and empathy to get people engaged in their neighborhoods in some sort of meaningful way. 
Um, the second one is, is, uh, is conversation and collaboration. So conversation and collaboration, again, equals deliberation. So in both of these projects, the point is deliberation. The point is actually to get people to talk. And as you'll notice, when I talk about these, these games, is that um, the, the face-to-face -face engagement is an important part of the design process. In all cases, getting people in a room, even, though, even if it's not the entirety of the players, getting people in a room is actually a really important anchor um, to, to, the entire, to the entire process. So just in general, these two approaches are, are a, a kind of a, a good way of understanding the, the three projects that I'll, that I'll talk about. And then ultimately, there are two goals uh, to, to these projects. One of them is simply engagement, um, it, which, is, you know, which is a tough word to define, but it, engaging people in their neighborhoods. And we could talk about what that means, because that's not exactly clear what it means, to, what it looks like, and what it feels like to be engaged. The other, the other one is feedback. And one of the, one of the things that, that uh, benefits a design approach that correlates with, it, with kind of existing or official processes is that, um, is that you have to respond to the needs of those, of those existing or official processes. And in our case, we've been working with planners, urban planners. And what planners want is feedback. And so feedback, that goal, doesn't always correspond with the first goal. So let me give you a little background here. The, um, I don't know if there are any planners in the room, but, but, but planners are compelled to engage communities. This is why it's an interesting context for design. They're compelled to engage communities by federal law. Um, and they do that. They, they, uh, so whenever there's a, a design project in any neighborhood, um, the planners have to consult with the community. So it's a really interesting context because um, it's already going on. It's a process that's already going on that's very local in orientation. Um, and and, uh, and they, they do this in a way, and sometimes it looks a lot like this, uh, which is someone standing up in front of a room and a bunch of people sitting there facing, facing the person talking, and then I'm telling you about these really complicated uh, you know, really complicated urban processes, and you don't know anything about complicated urban processes, and you're supposed to respond to what I'm saying, and then I go back to my office and say, well, I consulted with the community, and they're good. You know, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's a real simplification, and probably um, a lot of people will be upset for me, with me for saying that, but a lot of people would understand that, that that is the problem. I mean, that's a clear way of, of describing the problem, is that here we have a forum that's supposed to be democratic. In fact, it, it harkens back to um, the, the town hall meeting, the, the most uh, sort of symbolically uh, democratic processes that we can think of, um, and, it's, and it's typically not. And, and, it's, uh, and so there's, there's a lot of problems with the way that happens. I mean, this, this um, is, a, is a, a sort of awkward setting for democracy. So, um, and, and, and that's, so that's one of the other sort of design problems that we've, that we've identified and um, trying to use games to to solve that. So let me say that this is all to say that planners want feedback. They want to get, they want to consult the neighborhood. And again, this is not, this is not all out of malice. I mean, they want to consult the neighborhood and they do want feedback, but they also have to demonstrate that they've achieved that feedback. So both of those things are going on. The, the question is, to what extent does engagement affect feedback? For planners, they actually don't, most of them don't care about engagement. Although, if you really think about it, engaged people are going to provide better feedback, um, but that doesn't really factor into to the process 
a lot of the time. So, so the question is, and, and the, again, sort of a guiding, guiding principle and the guiding way that we've defined our goals is how can we attach engagement and feedback in all cases? How can we make the, the, the processes, that the games that we're creating provide useful feedback? This is, this is a term that, that people want to hear. Useful feedback. Um, how can we provide useful feedback at the same time that we can engage communities and hopefully um, have that go back and forth? How can, how can the, both of those things affect one another? All right, enough abstraction. Uh, let me talk about um, the first project. And, and I'm going to talk about all three projects just because I think that there's a, maybe, hopefully, an interesting history in the way that they've built um, on top of, of one another. Um, this first one is, as I said, it's called, it's called Hub2. It launched in May 2008, and it was funded by Harvard. And, and uh, what's important about that is that Harvard was the developer in this process. And so it was funded by the developer, which I think, you know, another thing that if, if this is something that, and we could talk about this later, the, the, uh, where the funding come from, comes from is, of course, important in the, uh, the way that you approach the, the design of the process. But um, so anyway, what, what the, the goal here was, was uh, Harvard was uh, building its science complex in Alston and... Um, and, uh, in, and the planning process was going through, and there was one little piece of that science complex that was, was going to be a park. It was called Library Park. Uh, it was right behind the library. That's why they came up with that name, Library Park. And, uh, and so it was, it was called Library Park. It was a one-acre park, a really small place. And, they, and, and the problem was is this park was symbolic of Harvard. I mean, so, so Harvard, I mean, it was, it, was, it was being given to the community as a community benefit. Uh, this was only for the community. This was not really part of the science complex. So it was actually the first thing that was going to get built. Um, but, but what was interesting is that the community was very upset about what was going on um, with, with Harvard. And because a lot of the, a lot of the property in Alston was, was purchased um, uh, without people knowing it was Harvard purchasing it. And it was, there was real sort of political turmoil um, going on in the neighborhood. And so we were brought in in an interesting way by the BRA, the Boston Redevelopment Authority, um, asked us to do a project in Alston. And so there's a lot of weird things going on here. You know, the, the Boston Redevelopment Authority said, thought that, in a way, that we could placate the community because, you know, because we were doing this kind of neat, techno, cool thing, and then the community would be interested in that. Um, and, and then maybe even we can engage people, um, and, and maybe even we can provide some, some better uh, context for, for feedback. Um, so, so there was a lot of, it was, it was a, as one, uh, as someone from the city described it, it was a hornet's nest. And, and that's a really interesting kind of backdrop for, for having to, to figure out how to, how to go about this project. So as I said, we did it in Second Life. Um, and, and uh, you know, that was largely because we kind of wanted to figure out how we could use Second Life in, a, in, an interesting, in an interesting way. But here is the, here is the concept. Um, people are already coming together to have these democratic forums to provide feedback for, um, for planners and, and, and for the city and for the developer. Um, we didn't want to disrupt that. We didn't want to disrupt. We didn't want to say that, you know, you people who are already coming together in, in, a, in a physical space and meeting, um, you know, that's good. Like, it's good to get, to get people together in one place. But we saw the problem as being this. Again, as I said before, people are coming together, they're, they're talking, but, but it's, hard for them to, it's hard for people to figure out how to respond to abstractions that they haven't had any 
um, that they haven't had any background in or, or, or any kind of, of schooling in. So, so how do you engage lay people in, in, uh, in sophisticated uh, professional topics, essentially, is, is the question. So we designed something that was basically this idea. We had a series of formal workshops um, where, where new ideas were immediately visualized. So if you can imagine, if you can see this, you sort of see it here. Um, but basically, we had a, a kind of V shape in the room. We had laptops set up where we had, um, where we had a, a second life space where we built a, a, a kind of blank version of the park in question. By the way, everyone's gathering in a community center in Alston. Um, and then they're, they're, they're sitting around this room. We had about uh, 15 to 20 people in a room at any given time. Um, they were engaging in that, they were in that second life space. They had an avatar that allowed them to walk through that, that park space. So they were able to get a feel for the potential park space without having, you know, again, without ever having been in the potential park space. But they also were able to be in the same room with one another. Um, what the, basically what this was was a sort of a brainstorming machine where uh, we had people would, would shout out um, ideas about what, what would take place in that park or what would exist in that park, and then uh, we would build it on the fly. And actually, Evan Leake is right here, who was our designer, who would, who would just uh, you know, build it in a second, throw it into the second life space, and then, all of the, you know, and then people would um, essentially use that object that was in that space and they would play with it. They would actually engage with that object. So if someone said, you know, it's a one-acre park, I want a baseball diamond, well, we would build the baseball diamond to, to spec as, as much as we could in, in, a, in the course of a few minutes. We'd throw it down on the, in the Second Life park space, and they would see that, oh, a baseball diamond would actually take up the entire park. And so that they, they sort of questioned their, um, they, they would question that. Um, they, would, they would come up with ideas for sculptures, and, and people would sort of jump on the sculptures with their avatars and, and again, literally play uh, with the sculpture, move, move things around um, and uh, in a, have these sort of weird uh, ritual dances uh, around these sculptures. But it was all sort of part of the, the process that, that, it was th that having that ability to sort of have that play space while they're, while they're talking was, was interesting. So we had everything sort of, um, we, everybody threw things into this, into this park space um, or rather, their ideas. They threw them into the park space. Then the the, uh, the actual participants began to move things around, um, and we would create these sketches. Essentially, these these we call them virtual sketches. And then the the participants would have an opportunity to to leave flags within the space and comment on things within the space. But here's what's interesting. Okay, so uh, let, me, let me just actually let me just describe the process a bit more. We had youth interpreters, so we hired local youth. The youth would. Um, the, the youth were there at all times during these workshops. They, um, they, they helped people who were, who were kind of afraid to, to touch computers, were, had no interest in, in touching the computers. They would, people would just tell the teenager what to do, and then, then they would do it, which was really interesting and, and because it got them into it. And by the end of the process, then, then the people who didn't want to touch computers, they were actually touching the computers. And, and that was a, a really cool thing to see. Um, and then, so we, we describe them as kind of helping to translate. So typically in a process, youth are there as a kind of parallel, as a parallel process. So there would be a youth charrette, a crayon charrette, and they would draw these little, they would draw these things in crayons, and then, and then uh, they'd be posted up on a wall somewhere, and, and the planner would say, here's what the kids did. And, and, uh, and, and then, you know, it would move on from there. But we, we wanted to come up with a context where the, where the youth could actually collaborate with the, with the, uh, the elders in the neighborhood, 
and come up with something together. And there was a kind of mutual dependence that, that cultivated um, around this. Um, so anyway, we came up with a, at the end of this, we, we would come up with a, a virtual sketch, and that would be, um, that would be saved, and, and uh, people would come back and be able to look at, look at that and comment on it. We had informal drop-in hours, again, facilitated by the youth. We had a constant presence within that, within Alston. So it wasn't just that we would come in and facilitate these, these, uh, these workshops. We had this constant presence. People could, of course, access it online in Second Life if they had access to it. Um, but the, the idea was that if you're going to enter into a neighborhood like this, there has to be a physical presence that's, that's stable in a way. So like having that community center where we had our things set up and there was always a, a young person there with a computer and people would come in off the street and they would show them around, that was a really important part of it, even though it was kind of separate from the whole concept. So the idea is, is something like this, that, that we wanted to give people... An experience, it, was, it was experiential. So in the sense that when, uh, when, we ask, when you ask people to deliberate about, about a park, about any kind of urban project or rather spatial um, project, that it's important that they have a kind of embodied, through the avatar in this case, an embodied experience of that space. That, that it actually gave them a whole new context from which to speak. Uh, which, of course, goes to embodied. And then constructive, um, which was open to building, which was the, that once things were down there, there was, that playful, there was that playful aspect. So here is one of the, as an example, here is one of the, the, the renderings that the architect gave to the community and said, okay, here's, here's the park space. What do you think? And the problem with uh, presenting something like this to people who don't know that much about, about uh, planning or sort of understand kind of spatial dynamics, you get things like this, that you get, um, you get, there are sort of reactionary comments that it becomes a forum for pet peeves. Um, and this, these, are, these are real quotes from real people. Um, but but these, are, these are sort of the things that, that you get. And we wanted to, the, the process that we created, I think, changed that by building things in Second Life and actually adding a kind of um, narrative element to it by giving people uh, scenarios to work through. This is the inchoate game pieces. So the first, this, this project is not all that game-like, but, um, but we, we began to explore role play and, and scenarios, and we found that it was incredibly effective. That if you, if you just gave them a space that, that where it was experiential, where they could, they could and, and it could be constructive, and you gave them a story from which to work, and you gave them, we, we gave them, it was very low tech, we gave them sheets of paper that, that just described their, their, uh, their character and, and their task. Uh, and they would move through the, the second life space and, and, uh, and get a feel for it. Like, oh, well, if we're, if, if we're the librarians and we're leaving from the parking lot, or rather we're coming in from the street, we'd have to walk through the parking lot to get to the place where we want to take kids for story time. It seems like a simple thing, but it's not. To get people to understand um, you know, that kind of complexity around, a, around an urban design was actually was, was, um, not easy. So, so this, was the, this was the concept again, was to build, so it was a series of these role play mechanisms that, that, we, built into these, that we built into these workshops. Okay, um, I'm going to move on to the second project that builds off of, um, that builds off of Hub2. Now this project was called uh, Participatory Chinatown. And uh, this was, as it says here, a game about Chinatown where you walk in someone else's shoes and are asked to make good decisions for the future of the neighborhood. So you see, this game was, was built off of 
um, was built off of the success that we, that we saw in that role-play element in, in Hub 2. We thought, okay, well, that's role-play and empathy. If we get people to actually think as somebody else um, while they're in a neighborhood and sitting next to somebody at the very same time, um, we can actually do some neat things together. So this launched in, in May of this year, uh, and this was funded by the MacArthur Foundation. So now all of a sudden we weren't, we weren't, uh, um, you know, we weren't indebted to, uh, to the developer, which was a, a huge move. I mean, I'll just say a few things about that, actually. I mean, being indebted to the developer um, limited the way that we did outreach to the community, limited what we could say to the community, and ultimately limited what we could produce at the end of, of the whole process. So it was, it was a... It was, you know, it was really problematic, and it's not just Harvard. It's, it's, it's uh, any developer would have, you know, those kinds of limitations that would be attached to um, a game, or any kind of process like this. And then we we worked with uh, two community partners, and this is also really an important piece of this. We worked with the Metropolitan Area Planning Council and the Asian Community Development Corporation. So one, you know, a CDC, a, a community development corporation, and another planning agency. So whereas in Hub 2, we try to do everything ourselves, we try, to, we try to sort of build this thing, be the expert planner and the community organizer, here we decided that we were going to partner with people, which was so much easier. And, and, and also it solved the big problem, which was building trust in a neighborhood. Because to, do, to, to plop anything down, whatever it is that you're plopping down onto a neighborhood, whether you're researching them or... A, designing something for them, is, is a, it's a trust issue. So because we got to work entirely through um, a CDC that was trusted within the neighborhood, we solved all sorts of problems. Um, okay, actually, I'm going to show you a video that uh, um, was made by uh, Nathaniel, who's sitting right here, which is a lovely video of, uh, that documents this process. into the community meeting that happens you know, every day. All over the country, people are getting together to discuss issues of urban planning, development, um, anything that's affecting the community. Participatory Chinatown is a, a new way of engaging in democratic processes that takes advantage of the affordances of new technology. The, the town hall meeting is, the, is, is a technology that's 300 years old, and it's been pretty effective but there's room for innovation. And what we've done here, I think, is we've innovated the town hall meeting by bringing in gaming, by bringing in social networking. I think we can, we can change the way that decisions are made and that not only decisions are made, but the way that groups get together, collaborate, work together, form political alliances, and do the, the dirty work of democracy. We're all in the same physical space. Okay, so what we do is we go and explore and try to get, find these cards. We've already gotten a few of them. And we read, the, read all the things that the character has, and we try to find cards or spaces. So this person is interested in finding good restaurants, and clothes, and stuff in their apartment, and meeting people. So we're trying to find places that can do that. You see so many people turning to games, the White House is turning to games. You see different calls for, you know, educational games that can help 
And I think people start to realize that, that games get people out talking to each other, they form discourse communities with each other, they're talking again, and they're creating things that, that you don't get from a lot of other mediums. talk about trade-offs uh, in development, they talk about green space, open space. These youth are amazing and I feel completely honored and humbled by their participation in this game. It gets them thinking about something other than perhaps the reason they came to the meeting in the first place. It gets them problem solving. And through the process of problem solving, it gets them talking to each other and hopefully getting to the issues in a way that's much deeper, that's much more sustainable than the, uh, the typical dynamic and conversation that happens in a community meeting. Okay, so uh, that gives you some sense, but what I, I really wanted you to see was, was what that room looked like. And, um, and so the, if you think about the design of the room, so you know, despite what was happening in the game, we had a, it was a series of tables that we had, long tables that were set up, and each table had its own multiplayer game on it. So we were only able to have, we had 15 characters in each, um, in each game. And so we had uh, about, what, we had four, I think, four games going on at once. Um, we had four games going on at once in that, in that big room. And, uh, and so they were all happen happening simultaneously, but we had this interesting dynamic where, of course, again, the, the people that were walking through um, that, were, that were in the virtual Chinatown were also sitting right next to each other in that space, and they were actually working together in, in really interesting ways. Basically, what, what they had to do was each, each player was on one of three missions. They were either looking for a job, looking for a place to live, or looking for a place to socialize. And they had to wander around Chinatown finding these, um, right there, finding these little, um, these little uh, diamonds over, over people's heads and over newspaper boxes. And they would, they would talk to people about uh, what was going on in Chinatown. And some people would actually give them resources. They would give them, which became a card that would end up over here. And those became possible, possible choices for them. Um, that, that, that they would choose at the end. And what, what was interesting is that once everybody kind of wandered around Chinatown and found the cards uh, that, they, that they wanted, uh, we ended that process. That was timed. It was about 30 minutes. We ended that process, and then we went to... There was a, the next stage of the game was, a, um, was basically just a card game where they would look at the cards that they found, 
and they would look at their bio, their character bio, and they would have to, de- they would have to determine what card would be the best choice for their character. And they had to consider things like what their income level was, what their language skills were, what their education was. They had to consider all those things in making a good decision for their character. And then they locked in their choice, and they, had, they, they ranked the top three. They locked in their choice, and they had to wait for everybody at the, in the room to, um, to, you know, to lock in their choices. And then we, we gave them the results. And they were competing against people at their table. They were competing against just um, you know, sort of algorithmic things like uh, what are the chances of getting this affordable unit and things like that. But then they were, they, were, they were told what they got. Some of them got their first choice. Some of them didn't get anything at all. What was fascinating about it is that you know, once we announced what, what they got, people erupted in cheers and, and, and groans. And, and it was a really exciting experience, especially if you've been to a lot of these community meetings. Um, the cheers and groans are typically not all that enthusiastic. So um, it was, it was that, that in itself was, was really fascinating. And then the second part, we had them thinking about, um, they, they went through a kind of future part of Chinatown, and they had to make decisions for themselves. And we had this moment where everybody was wearing name tags um, of their character. Um, and we, uh, when, when during the co- conversation piece of this, when they would start talking about what happened to their character during the, during the event, we would call them by their character name, and they had to speak in I statements as their character, which was a really interesting exercise in and of itself um, that got them thinking about and through their character. But then after that part was over, they ripped off their name tag and they got to be themselves again, which is you know, an interesting part of this, is that, you've, that giving people the opportunity, people come to these meetings because they have something to say, you can't deny that of them entirely, of course, but to, to, um, to actually uh, delay that is really effective. So they come to this meeting because they've got a pet peeve, but you don't let them, you don't let them air that for, for an hour, and then you let them air it. And then it's this, this, this really interesting thing where um, when, when, con- when confronted with what they think about you know, the need for three more parking lots in the area, and then, act- and then asked about the character that they were playing, it was complicated. Now, very few people admitted <laughs> that their character and that experience affected the, um, their decisions uh, at, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the game when they, when they were providing their decisions. But I think that's too much to, um, to expect. That I think what, what this sort of process does is actually kind of change, um, change the framework of the conversation. It doesn't necessarily change the, the content. It doesn't necessarily, people aren't going to say, aha, I've been wrong all my life. But they may have an experience that adds to the way in which they're going to engage in these, in these decisions in the future. So, um, so again, it was like that was an evaluative uh, criteria that we had that, of course, didn't produce anything. But again, I think that was, it was uh, too much to, to expect that, that they would have these um, aha moments uh, during the game. Um, all right, so a little bit of background on this. Um, one, of the, one of the ways that we considered this was game design as urban planning. So the, this process took quite some time, and, and, but there was a presence of the process in the neighborhood. So the youth were involved uh, from the very beginning. In this case, we had 18 youth, um, and we had the youth interview community members, um, and, uh, and then we based the characters on those, on those interviews. So we got them involved, and it's amazing what happens when you get young people involved in a process because they know a lot of people, and, and they, they network, and, and you know, so it became kind of pervasive in the neighborhood that this was, that this was going on. Um, so, and then from that, we, we also had the youth go out and photograph 
the city that we use to produce the three models of the, of the city of Chinatown. So again, engaging them on just that level um, was, a, was a pretty uh, phenomenal thing. And then finally, we had this pizza summit, um, and, uh, and we got the youth to actually talk about the kind of game elements, and, and uh, that was really interesting because um, getting to, to make a game about your neighborhood that will actually get played and inform what happens in your neighborhood was a pretty powerful thing for, for all, the, all the young people involved. Um, all right, I already said that, but let me say this. Um, we had over 100 people show up to the launch over the course of two days, uh, and we had a mean age of 30, which was really low. Um, so one of the ways that, that this process succeeded was just in the ability to get a different kind of person in the room, um, a younger person in the room, uh, which are typically not the people who show up to community, <coughs> community meetings. And then we also had another interesting finding was that those with little game experience found the game to be most meaningful. So we actually had this, um, the, the, the two poles were, were, were cut off. The people who considered themselves gamers were not all that impressed because it wasn't that interesting of a game, really, uh, for, for gamers. And then the people who have never played a game before were not all that impressed because, you know, they'd never played a game before and it didn't, it didn't work for them. But, but the people down on the lower end of the threshold that were somewhat familiar or had played games in the past by no means considered themselves gamers, they actually found the whole process to be so much more meaningful um, than, the, than the people on, on either poll. So, and that was actually what we were looking for, that, that you know, looking for not excluding, um, not excluding that portion of the population that you can expect to come to, uh, um, to a meeting like this. All right, and then ultimately the comments that were left during the game, there were a lot of com- there was a lot of commenting going on, and this is, the, this is the feedback part. So of course, you know, you can get people to talk all you want, but again, planners want feedback, and we were able to produce that through textual comments and also through um, conversation. By the way, the game was, in, was uh, bilingual, it was, in, it was in Chinese and English, um, and we had a translator that was in the room as well to facilitate that. And, they, and the, the people can play in both languages simultaneously. Um, all right, so I'm just going to skip ahead to talking about the, the last project, which is now uh, in development, and, and talk about a, a slightly different approach that we're, we're taking now, and then I'll, I'll stop and, and hopefully have a conversation. Um, this project's called Community Planet, and this is also foundation-funded. Uh, it's in development now, and, and uh, it is, uh, hopefully will be done by April. And I'm going to show you a little teaser video to give you a sense. Okay, well, the next item on the agenda is thinking lot number 8934. Oh, yes, lot 8934, my architectural legacy. Well, don't hold back. Let me hear your ideas for this space. Let's see. Uh, how about a high rise? Now that's something I wouldn't mind getting in on the ground floor with. I second that. Wouldn't we all? But I think there would be some conflict of interest with that idea, John. Well, what about a museum? Or a park? No high rises, no museums, no parks. Good grief. We have plenty of these things in our town. I'll tell you what we need. A state-of-the-art parking lot. No matter a landfill. Hmm. If only there was a way to involve the community in this process. The community? That's preposterous. I don't see how that could ever work. Cindy, you're proposing that everyone take part in the planning process? Wait, if I'm hearing this correctly, you're suggesting we let the community...
bidding plan. Okay, so um, Community Planet is a, is a uh, platform now. So uh, the, the last two projects were, were made specifically for specific neighborhoods. Um, now we're building a platform, and we're, we're, we're trying to build a, a mobile platform. But we, we have similar goals. I mean, you, you remember, of course, those, those icons about, uh, you know, this, this is, this, this is the, second, the second strategy, which is to conversation and collaboration, and, and uh, hopefully that turns into the, um, to the deliberation. So... Um, let me just explain. I don't have that much to show about this game, but I want to just describe the, the concept. Again, it's a platform. It's something that we're developing so that it can be implemented in any community. But, it's being, but the, the goal of this game is not so that we can just launch it and then hope that people sign up, but each instance of the game has got to be curated and organized around a particular process that's happening within a neighborhood. Um, and it's got to have a, a, a context with... Um, with it has to be associated with the community organization. All right, so here's the timeline. So instead of designing for, for the meeting itself, now we're leading up to the meeting. Um, the game is, is, is going to take place over the course of six weeks. Um, each of the weeks will be themed with, with missions, and, uh, and, and, it'll, and it'll lead up to this meetup, so the, the, or the community meeting. So we, we launched the game six weeks prior to a, some sort of a, a planning process that's going on in a neighborhood. We, get the, we engage the community in the, in, um, and, and I'll describe a little bit of that in a second, we engage the community in issues surrounding the community, um, and then we get them together. We have, we have that meetup. And ultimately, one of the incentives for playing this game is not just to play a game, but um, it's actually part of an official process which builds trust in the sense that people feel as though they are being listened to. And I hope it's not just feeling that way. I hope that's, uh, that's, that's true. Um, that, that the process essentially is part of a, a, um, an official planning process, which actually, actually in this case I think is central to, to the way it's going to work. So um, each player is going to build a profile and they'll be asked things like, do you live, work, or play in whatever neighborhood? Let's just use Chinatown again um, as, a, as an example. So do you work, live, or play in Chinatown? So people, that will be the first thing that people will, will be asked when they enter into the, enter into the game. Um, and they'll be able to just play the game right from there. That's all they'll have to a- answer uh, at the beginning. The profile, I'm showing you this. One of the, the premise of the game is that each player will begin with 10 uh, tokens, maybe called planet tokens. And they get these, or coins, I think we're calling them, They'll planet coins. So each player gets 10 planet coins, and they're able to spend their planet coins on the theme of the six missions throughout the game. So they're told, hey, this, this game is going to go on for six weeks. Each week is going to have a different mission. They're going to go in this order. But here are the issues as they stand now. Safety, housing, parking, open space, identity, and walkability. These are the concepts. These are the themes that we're going to be dealing with over the course of the six weeks. So you spend your coins that we're giving you right now and tell us what your priorities are. What are the things that are most important to you in the neighborhood? So spend them. In this case, open space is is the most important, but there are other issues here, housing and and safety. So when when players play the game, what they're playing for is essentially are these coins, and players can accrue more coins during the course of of playing the game. And um, as as they get these coins, they're able to spend them to essentially amplify their voice. So... The idea is that people are playing towards an official planning process, 
And the main, the, the sort of entry point into their voice in this planning process is the sort of amplification of their voice through how they spend their coins. And these will be designated as the, as the priorities given over to the planners. Um, there are other things that they can do in their profile, and as we build out their profile as just part of what they do during the game, is they're rewarded for that as well. So the more information that they provide within the profile, um, that, that's also rewarded because that becomes really interesting and useful uh, material, not only for planners, but also for the, for the community. Okay, so as I mentioned, there are six themes, and they, they break down basically according to this logic. Um, the first, the, uh, I'm sorry, the, there are, I didn't mention this. Sorry, there are six missions. I mentioned that. Each mission has six actions. And so each week, there are, there are basically six things that a player could do during the course of the week. Um, one of the things is simply just a mission brief. And the objective there is just an explanation. So watch a video about, about uh, what do we say here? Safety. Watch a video about safety um, and, and uh, get a little introduction to the, to the issues of safety. And then read just a tiny paragraph about how safety might affect, be affecting or so how, how safety is, is uh, presenting itself as uh, an issue in your neighborhood. Uh, think fast. And the objective here, we're talking about sort of emotional perception. So how do you feel about the neighborhood? And basically, this is just a poll, but every time someone answers a poll question, they get to see how they, you know, as a, as a benefit, as a reward for answering a poll question, they get to see how they relate to other people in their uh, in the neighborhood. So they get to see themselves sort of contextualized or graphed. Um, so, so this is the, the, that we want to just get them engaged right away, really simple tasks, getting them engaged in this uh, kind of perception of the neighborhood. And again, I should say that all of this is specific to the neighborhood in which it's being implemented. So every instance of this game has a curator that has to spend the time um, to provide all this content. Um, and then connect it to the official process, uh, the, to the official planning process. So map it, um, think spatially. In this case, we want to get people mapping their, their neighborhood, thinking about things like, in the case of safety, thinking about things of what, map the, the, the safest parts of the neighborhood, map the most dangerous parts of the neighborhood. Um, every mission, you can imagine, is going to have um, sort of spatial elements to it. So if we go back to these missions, um, housing, parking, getting people to sort of map on their own um, where, where, where in the neighborhood is there the most need for housing? Where in the neighborhood is there the most need for parking? And get, to get, you know, get these sort of uh, community-generated maps um, in place. Um, so that's another thing that they can do, again, the, with the objective of thinking spatially. By the numbers. In this case, this is where, um, this is where they'll be given kind of city data. So we'll stream in live data from whatever city this is... Uh, uh, this is being implemented in. We can stream in that live data and get people to respond to very specific questions about, about civic data um, and get people interacting, again, with that, with that data in relation and seeing what, the, uh, what the, the other people in the neighborhood think about, about these very specific sort of uh, data-driven issues. Someone else's shoes, with the objective being empathy, one of the things that they can do is actually interact with other people's profiles. So what we did in Participatory Chinatown was get people interacting um, in the neighborhood as somebody other than themselves, but now we're going to try to do that with other players. And um, what, one, of the, one of the actions in each of the missions is to get people thinking about what would it be like to be that person um, and, and kind of solving problems as somebody else. Again, now not a fictional character, but as another player uh, in the game. And then finally, do it is, uh, is a, a kind of bottom-up orientation where, where 
people will challenge other people in the, in the community uh, to do things uh, within the community, anything from um, picking up garbage to um, shoveling snow, whatever, whatever it might be. There's a, there's a, a kind of a bottom-up orientation to that. So while most of the elements of, of these missions are curated in the sense that um, what this is doing is capacity building, it's providing the context from which people are going to begin to be able to deliberate when they get to that room. Um, when they get to that room six weeks later, if they do go to that room, they're going to have the capacity to, to deliberate, and also they're going to know the people that are, that are participating in that deliberation, which is always a good thing. Um, but then the, this other part of it is, is community-driven, which may build capacity in, in some respects, but it's also just community-building. And so getting people out and doing things, of course, is, is, uh, is necessary. I would say not necessarily in and of itself, um, but when tied to a context. So this is why this is different, say, than something like Scavenger. Um, when this is tied to a context, the context of the space, the people, and the processes is going to actually determine the, um, the kind of content uh, that's built into the system. Um, so then ultimately, what, what, what we lead up to is a, this, this meetup or this, or this meeting where now um, the people get to interact with they, well, what will happen at the meeting is that we unveil how people spent their coins. So remember I told you that you can earn coins and spend them on your priorities. That's the one piece that we're actually going to keep from people until the, until the meetup. That's the, that's the carrot to come to the, to come to the meeting. Um, and you come to the meeting, and then you get to know, like, aha, this is what, this is what the community spent their, their coins on. This is what people actually want. Um, and, uh, and then also, we'll be able, we'll provide people with the, with the data and give them the opportunity to manipulate the community data as a means of entering into the conversation. So this is early in the planning stages, but um, if our goal in all of these meetings is to disrupt this, this sort of, you know, um, everybody's facing forward and somebody, somebody facing that way, um, we're planning on, on orienting this around stations now um, that maybe uh, includes um, some sort of tablet computer, maybe an iPad, where people can move data around in small groups around, around tables. So you, have, you completely disorient the, the, uh, um, the, this, this sort of format, and you have people moving around and engaging in small groups as part of this community meeting. So it changes the nature both of leading up to the meeting and then also the meeting itself. The other thing that happens during this game is that people can orient themselves to one another. So the hope again, is that when provided with a context to engage in a neighborhood around a very specific process where, where you feel as though you're being listened to and you hope, hopefully there's some sort of trust, um, uh, there's some trust involved there, um, that people will engage, um, that people will engage more and more meaningfully and also form advocacy groups. Now, this is a big hope and we don't know if this is going to work, but the, but again, if the, um, built around this, built around this system, if you're able to associate yourself, and this is just a sort of standard social networking feature, if you're able to associate yourself with people of like mind um, and work towards something, it takes away some of the work involved. So, for instance, um, there's this great organization called Kaboom that allows people to, um, it has an online tool where people can organize around building playgrounds. Uh, which is really lovely, but, the, but the, the, it's so much work. And, and, and what's interesting about it is that you enter in, and the first thing you do is you organize people in your neighborhood so that you can begin to fundraise around building of a playground um, in your neighborhood. And again, it's a really, it's a really cool tool, but, but when, I, when I see that tool, I react to it 
by thinking that that's a lot of work to begin a process. And what I'm, what I'm hoping is that if the goal of this is to, is to end with advocacy groups, is the, if the goal is to end with people who are associating with people that have political goals in mind, it, you're not starting with that. You're not, you're not starting with that idea like, okay, you want something, now organize, because that's really exhausting and, and daunting. And so if we can get to that organizing piece after six weeks and also this, this meetup, then that extends the life of this game beyond the meetup um, into, uh, in, into this process that basically will just form around advocacy groups and then hopefully extend out into existing social networks so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and I just want to say one last thing, which is this idea of this growing tension between, between machine-readable data and human-readable data, that, that it's really cool that there's so much data that's available um, about cities and for cities right now. And it's actually been the, the goal of, of uh, you know, it's been, it's been a, a, one of the priorities of the Obama administration and of city leaders to get that machine-readable data out there for people to use. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of enthusiasm about just the, the, you know, the, the thankless and tiring process of getting that data ready to be used. Um, but in the, uh, currently, there's, there's a not as much, as I would like anyway, conversation about how do we actually make that data, d don't just put it on a website and now it's here, but how can we actually make that data useful and, and human-readable and sort of change the, the way that people interact with their neighborhoods and their cities because, of the way, because we've changed the way that people are interacting with that data and developing new data sets that will actually make urban life um, more appealing. So I'll end there. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, so I was wondering, like, what processes you think you might implement in order to, especially as it gets beyond, like, you and your lab running these things, like, how do you make, make sure that, like, that curator doesn't have a bias or is, doesn't have, you know, may not have the best interest or of everyone in the community at heart, like, all right. that sort of stuff? How do you, how do you make that a robust sort of not easy fail? <laughs> Um, that's a, a good question. I mean, what, what we're doing is we're, we're creating community guidelines, essentially, and we're saying these, this is what it would take to, to do this in the, in the community. And what that would be is the involvement of a community organization so that you can actually have, you know, um, on-the-ground community organizing, which is going to be a big part of, of the, the success of this. The uh, involvement of youth, which is going to be a big part of the success of, of, any, of, these, uh, of any of these processes. So, and we'll, we're going to document, um, we're going to do, actually, we're going to do two things. We're, we're creating the templates for six missions. So we're, we are going to, um, those templates are going to be clear. We're actually providing, we're building videos that are going to describe what we think are the six primary missions that will, that will happen in most neighborhoods. And we're going to give people guidelines on how to produce content for each of those, for each of those missions and each of those actions. Um, and we're going to, we are actually implementing in two neighborhoods here in Boston, luckily, um, so we'll be able to have examples for, for people to look at. So we're, so we're, we're building that content, we're creating guidelines, um, 
but there's but you're right. I mean, there's there's somebody can use this for evil, and we can't stop that. And uh, and, and and so we can only do so much by sort of setting examples and best practices, and and kind of let it go. We're and we're also um, you know making it open source. So you know the hope is that that people will build on top of this as, as well. So again, I mean, we can't control how that gets used either. Yes. Yeah, I, I can kind of follow up on that and maybe you take it a step further beyond just content. How do you safeguard against having the mechanics of the game, the system itself, being biased towards a specific, towards a specific type of or towards a specific type of kind of resolution? Can you explain what you mean? So, so uh, just taking, you know, an example of choice, right, where, where if I'm not inputting my own, you know, if I'm not inputting my own content, right, or if you're presenting a situation where I've got a mission, and in order to accomplish that mission, I have to make a choice, right? Those those choices are then, you know, systematically privileged, right? Over, yes. over anything else that I would come up with. Um, so it's not just what are those choices, but it's the fact that that's, that's the kind of decision I'm presenting as opposed to any other input that I can offer. Right. Um, you know, too much open-endedness is not good for, for getting people engaged in, in the process. So that's a that's it's kind of a, a compromise that, that has to be made uh, in order to make the game playable. I think. But um, the other the other way to think about this is that the way that you know often a, a strategy in, in any public meeting about anything is to present three options. Two of them are glaringly awful, and one of them is pretty good, right? And so the the kind of choice that's already available is so limited that that uh, there will be enough choice in the ability to augment anything that doesn't have choice, in the sense that, that I can, in, in every case, when I'm, say, I'm an, in Think Fast, if I'm answering just a, a poll question and then, and then seeing that visualized, I'll have the ability to, to add my two cents to that. Um, I'll have the ability to, to let my voice be heard in ways that are kind of scaffolding the game but not structuring the rules. And so I think that it's, uh, you know, limiting, limiting choices is, is, is tough. And it, it sort of enters into the, to the politics of all of this, in the fact that um, if we go to a, a, a mayor somewhere and say, hey, we want to build this system, and there's, you know, there's, there's no rules. I mean, not, not, you're not saying that. But, but, but there's, there's, a, you know, there's, there's very little um, kind of containment of what can happen. That's also scary. So we have to actually build in some kind of, um, of, of, of moderation and some sort of structure to, to choices in order to, to, to stave that off. So certainly, the politics of this game are not radical. Um, they're, they're, they're liberal in orientation. Um, and uh, it's about, it's about ex extending conversation more than it is now without completely disrupting the way that decisions have to ultimately get made. Yep. Yeah. But you know, there there is no better context for neighborhood involvement when you're actually talking about raising neighborhoods. I mean, this is this is where <laughs> I mean, this is this is exactly why, you know, there are federal mandates to engage neighborhoods because of urban renewal in the 1950s and 60s in that neighborhoods were raised uh, without, without consulting communities. Detroit's a really interesting example, and we actually want to work with Detroit um, as one of our first uh, pilot communities. And um, 
and it's it's also a night community, so you know, it's, so it's it, it would be good if we can work with Detroit. And I actually think the 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 issues are all uh, still are are still relevant because that land has to be be used, and there's lots of really creative conversation about what to do with that land, like urban farms, and um, so, you know, it's like really it's about raising neighborhoods and, and maybe building farms, maybe building new pedestrian spaces, doing something in that in that space that is that has not yet been uh, uh, conceived of. And actually, I think that would be really exciting because, and I don't think it's limited to growth, actually. I mean, I think it's, it's limited to geography. It's limited to land use. Um, but whether you're shrinking or growing, uh, I, think that, I think that it applies. Yeah. What size community do you kind of targeting to get meaningful player base for this? And is it possible to have too many people, too few people? And, and to get that amount of people, what is, what is the size of the overall community they have to be to be able to get a meaningful subset actually? Uh, again, great question. Um, I don't know. And I wonder if uh, people have thoughts about that, actually. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can pull out a number from nowhere, and I think, oh, 500 sounds good. I mean, you know, that, that seems like a, a decent number to, to get started with. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I know that there has to be a certain number for it to work, and I just don't know what that number is. I don't know that we can have too many players although that probably is going to be a problem at some point as well. Um, so do you have any thoughts on that? Because I actually don't know. No, neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. So for instance, Chinatown. Chinatown is a neighborhood that, that um, we've had some experience working in. And if we worked in Chinatown again, Chinatown has 9,000 residents. So I'm thinking a, a neighborhood with 9,000 residents, and that's, ju that's just residents. That's not including stakeholders, so people who work there, um, people who just eat there, right? Um, so lots of people would play a game if it's about the redevelopment of a neighborhood that they care about. Um, so let's, let's extend that number to 15,000 then. And, um, and so how many people... So it's, I don't think it's about getting a representative sample. I don't think we could strive for that necessarily. Um, so, but I do think that it's about getting enough players to make the system work. And, um, you know, and I, and I, you know, thinking about the system until we've tested it, I just can't tell exactly how many players we want. We're going to try to get as many as we can. Um, and we're going to do that through community organizing, uh, again, engaging youth. We're going to work with libraries and schools. The idea, this is going to be mobile and web-based, so we're going to have um, uh, computer, designated computer terminals in libraries um, in all the communities that we're implementing this summer so that people without, um, without mobiles can, can use this. We're also designing for, um, for touch mobiles, uh, touchscreen mobiles. Um, so we're, we're limiting some mobile users that don't have those sorts of phones. We will integrate things like SMS to a certain extent, so we'll have, but that's not going to be a full experience. Two ways of getting a full experience in this game will be a web experience and then a, a, a touchscreen smartphone experience. Um, and, and so we want to. So the way that we're kind of dealing with getting more people involved is by having terminals set up within a within a community, having a physical presence in a community. So people, again, like what we did in previous projects, so that people know that this game is going on. Um, so here's the other thing: is that this this is not going to be free to do. And you know, we just received money from the um, the from HUD, the Sustainable Communities Grant that was given to Boston to do some uh, some planning work here for an implementation of this game. And we're actually thinking that this is going to cost any neighborhood who wants to do this about $20,000 to pay, which is fairly cheap for a planning process, but it's not free. So, but, so, and that money would go to paying youth, paying people in community organizations to actually curate, 
uh, paying moderators. So there's a cost built into this. But because it's, it's organized around a process, the cost hopefully will not be entirely prohibitive. Um, I don't see this working without curating it. And I think that's, in fact, why it will work, because it's curated, because it's specific, because it's tied to an official process. Um, and, and so, you know, we have to sort of take that into consideration. Like, who can, who, who's going to do this? Who's going to take a chance on spending that money to, to bring this um, to, their, to their community? So I will let you know how many people it takes to run a, a sufficient game. But I'd love to hear other thoughts on that, if there, if there are any. Yeah. Yep. Um, the, we're gonna we're gonna maintain the data uh, even if, if even if people stop playing, and we're also trying to make the the initial barrier to engagement with any one mission so low that it'll be really really easy for someone to take thirty seconds to to basically to to participate in the game. So we we imagine right now we're we're thinking about that you know we're thinking about probably ten percent you know super users. Um, and then maybe maybe a, a 60% just casual users that will that will read other people's posts and uh, and and engage to that that sort of first action that that just you know keeps them involved. And then of course there's that there's that other element of people who will do it for one week and then and then stop. The data still works. It it still works to to everything that happens within the game. Every every if someone leaves a comment, if someone does anything to their profile. Um, if someone answers any question, that data is still relevant. It's not like just because they've stopped, it goes away. It's also not like if someone plays the whole game and doesn't show up to the meetup that, it, that their participation isn't relevant. And also, um, to build the meetup around the, uh, around the sort of voyeur concept where people will show up to that even if they've never played the game, just because they want to know what's been going on in their neighborhood that they've heard about. So it, this has got to work on, on so many different levels. It's got to work on so many different... Um, um, methods of engagement, and, and it's got to appease those people who want to lurk, uh, which I, again, I imagine is going to be a huge part of the, of the player base um, and make it meaningful for them. And, and we also have to control the super users. You know, this is another thing, is that um, we have to figure out a way, and we haven't figured this out yet, we have to figure out a way that when we do get to that meetup, that it's not totally dominated by eight assholes, which is what usually happens in these meetings, right? So, like, then we're not doing anything if that happens. So we have to figure out how to, how to, how to make that work. Um, and we've, we've, we have some ideas of, of, how, that, of how that's going to work, how we're going to limit that kind of participation, how we're going to make it so one's voice can't get too loud. Um, because, again, this is, what, this is what typically happens in these, in these community meetings. I've been at meetings at the Boston Redevelopment Authority where people were... The, the planners in the in the um, planners at the BRA are referring to community members by name because they're the loudest people in the in the community. So that's already a problem. And and you know and I think what we're doing here is we're hopefully um, we're we're hopefully leveling out the playing field as opposed to just amplifying the existing playing field. Yes. Not yet. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. And, you know, there's, um, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. I mean, there's the, it's, a, it's something that, because each instance of the game is going to be moderated, that we can watch for that. But, um, but we're not going to limit the, our intended openness of the game because of the possibility of, of, of cheating um, or, or hacking. And the, the, I think the, uh, and this, is, you know, this has been an ongoing discussion. Like, to what, extent should we, to what extent should we limit things just because of the, these possibilities? I have an assumption that, that, um, that, or at least cheating, you're not exactly talking about that, but at least cheating will be minimized because of the way that identity is going to be disclosed within this game. So, um, and, and, and we're going to take certain precautions to make sure that people don't create multiple accounts as much as we can. We'll, we'll take certain precautions to, to make sure those things don't happen. Uh, in terms of, of hacking into the system, uh, you know, I, I foresee that happening, but I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that, um, you know, hopefully in any, in any situation like that, we'll be able to, we'll be able to fix it quickly. So, yes. Um, we well, we consider ourselves. I mean, we we're working with. Um, well, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. We did work in the in the in the Chinatown game. We actually worked with a company called Muzzy Lane. Um, we use their platform. They have an educational platform. We use that platform to develop out the to develop out the game, and that was that was uh, pretty interesting. Um, and you know it was really beneficial to have to have that that perspective. Um, now we're we're working with we're working with um, really talented programmers who know what they're doing, and and uh, and we, you know we're taking the role of game designers. Yeah. So um, so I feel like that's 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 how we're we're doing our development at this point. Gary, uh, could you say just a little bit more about uh, how the process moves into the urban planning process and then also at the end how the people who played who played with the same process in the game uh, what they learn about the impact that, you know, their involvement yeah um, so I'll talk to the Chinatown experience first um, the Chinatown what happened in the Chinatown game is that um, basically after that after that process after gathering all that all that data and that uh, that uh, all those comments and all that user data, we we wrote a uh, an addendum to the master plan. So um, that's where that ended. This was part of that. I didn't. I don't think I mentioned that. That was part of a master planning process that was going on in Chinatown, um, and so it did filter into an official document. The problem with it was that um, we the the result was a you know a five page report that ended up in the back of a master a larger master planning report that ended up on a shelf somewhere. Um, so that was a problem. Um, we had some con some continued engagement within the discussion forums in the Chinatown game, but that's exactly why we're taking the approach we're taking now, um, because we felt like we didn't do enough. We provided that feedback. We got to that point, but the, in the end, the feedback, it was listened to, but it wasn't a substantive listening to. Um, and we feel like now, by having this platform that continues beyond any kind of any kind of process, is that that ongoing conversation will, will continue to inform that planning process. So we will suggest that after any 
six-week uh, game that results in a, in a meetup that there's a report that's produced to go into whatever official documents are being created. We will suggest that that happens. But at the same time, we will suggest that that, whatever official, that that official report is always pointing to what continues to happen online. This is another problem with planning processes, is that they happen intermittently. And a planning process could take years in a neighborhood, and a, and a, you know, a planner can come in um, and then not come back for three months or six months or even a year. And then the community is there you know, just sort of waiting and not thinking about it. So one of the goals here is, is sort of keeping a, a, creating an ambient awareness of a process, even if it's not an active game. Um, can the platform function as, a, as just a place where there's, there's an awareness that this planning process is continuing to go on in the neighborhood and that there's a, a, a physical restructuring that's imminent uh, because people forget it and, and, uh, and they, they, they essentially deactivate themselves uh, between, between meetings. So uh, one of the goals of this platform and the problem that we're solving from our previous iterations is that we're keeping that conversation going and hopefully creating something more substantive than, than just a report. So, yeah. Yes? Thank you. Um, I think it's a, you said that the project is focused on electronic urban planning with the utilization of space, or sometimes restructuring if you want to kind of recreate some kind of space. Um, have you thought about using the same or similar tool for issues that would be of course to a neighborhood, like maybe like restructuring a small or some small Uh, so restructuring a school, was that your example? I mean, that still is a spatial issue. So uh, that, that directly, that, I think that directly applies with, the, with even the platform that, that we're creating. Uh, again, the themes are, are, are changeable. So, the, so this, the structure still applies. You still have a geographically oriented community. You still have a process of, of construction. Uh, you still have a, a, of an, an investment in a physical space. So that, that's, I think that's a direct application. I think that there are other applications that are not so direct that I'm interested in. Um, that that uh, applications around around uh, issues of public health, as an example, um, that may be that that may be tied to a geographic community, but not really spatially oriented necessarily. Um, I think that there are there are ways. I think it's 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 imperative that the gameplay be local in orientation, but not necessarily spatial in orientation. And I'm I'm interested in exploring that. Um, but we haven't yet, and um, and so you know that this is the all all three of our projects thus far have been specifically around around urban planning and and, and urban developments, um, simply because they provide it provides an existing really interesting rule base and process. Um, but there are lots of other things going on and that are locally oriented that I think that that a platform this platform or platforms like it will could be really useful in, in, uh, in helping out with. Yes? Besides um, the written portion that was like attended onto the, the planning aspect that you were talking about, do you um, know of other ways that people's behavior change like after partaking in the Chinatown project? Like, you know, did the way that people interacted change um, afterwards or in terms of how they engage in uh, well, that's interesting. We, we plan on going back to the community next month to do a sort of six-month-out um, 
you know, some, some interviews with the people that we've already talked to six months out to answer that very question. So I don't know yet. Um, and, you know, just based on our, the, the surveys that we did and the interviews that we did after, after the game, uh, we do know that people claimed that they're thinking differently about what's happening in their neighborhood, but of course, a claim is not exactly uh, a reality, and that's, why, that's exactly why, I mean, our, our, our research plan is to go back and, and to, talk to, the, to talk to as many people as we can again to, to get a sense of if there was any sort of ideological change or at least sort of conceptual change in the way that they're approaching what's happening in the community. The master plan is still going on. You know, the, the Chinatown has been uh, master planning for 20 years. You know, it's a, it's a really interesting neighborhood. And one of the, one of the things that, that happens, and I think any game like this is going to have to contend with, is, is just sheer exhaustion. And um, so, so how do you approach an exhausted community and say, hey, do more? Um, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, participate in this thing. And, and I think the, the answer is that we're asking you to do more, but the, the, uh, the, the, the goal and the benefits of participating are not simply so that you can provide feedback again, but it's also the community engagement part. Um, so, so it's, it's do more, um, but you're also going to get to know your neighbors. You're also going to be able to form sort of uh, alliances. You're, you're going you're to get to, and you may even have fun, um, and, uh, and that, will, you know, that will hopefully motivate people to, to participate. Um, so, you know, this is something that, that, that we will, you know, continue to, to deal with, is, is uh, uh, convincing people. And this is why it was so important to work with ACDC um, in, the, in, the, in this process, because they were able to bring people into this process because the people that came already trusted them. If it came from me, um, they would say, who are you? Why would I want to do this? But the fact that it comes from a community organization was so central to the success of that project. And it's going to be, sec- it's going to be central to the, every implementation of community plan, and I think, as well. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.